as we are fixing our eyes on Jesus this Advent season. And if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to meet me in our Advent text, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And if you um, picked up a copy of our church Bible on your way in, you'll find Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 on page 1007. Our Advent reading this morning answers a very important question. It's a question that has been lurking throughout this sermon to the Hebrews since chapter 1, verse 1. This question, the Christians who first heard these words, they weren't just asking, they were struggling, struggling with this question. And some of you are struggling with this question here today. Might we have the house lights on? Thank you. Yeah, that's, there you are. You, you may be struggling with this question that's in my mind here. And, and, and maybe there's a part of you that might be afraid to admit the struggle because, well, how would the pastor respond if he knew about this question that I'm struggling with? And, and truth be told, pastors like me struggle with this question, this question that I'm thinking of. What is that question? It's this. Is it worth it to be a Christian? Is Christianity worth it? Is all of this worth it? I mean, think about that question carefully now. Because, you know, a lot's been going on here. A lot has been invested here in this campus and this property and then building and lights and the stage and the trees didn't appear by themselves and they're not going to take themselves down. And someone is pastoring our children now. And is all this worth it? Is all this worth it? Yeah. Well, to the original recipients, the answer to that question was a resounding yes. It was a resounding yes. I mean, they who first heard this sermon in Hebrews, this, this, this sermon to the Hebrews, when they came to the Lord, it was as, as if they stepped into a new world. It was a world of forgiveness a world of grace, a world of mercy, a world of community, a world of humility. Listen, humility was not a value in the Roman Empire. Humility was, was who would want humility? I mean, because you don't win by being humble, you win by winning and dominating. And that was just the mindset of the Roman Empire. And so they had stepped into this world of, of Humility and community, oh, in the Roman Empire, well, there were, there were castes and there were levels and classes. And, and, and here, through the Lord, they had come out of different ethnicities and vocations and economic locations. In Christ, they'd become one family. 
to those who first heard this Advent text, Christmas was no theory. Christmas was no symbol. To those who first heard this text, Christmas was not theoretical. Christmas was historical. The the Jewish God, Yahweh, had expressed himself in time. Verse 19 says, by the blood of Jesus. And verse 20, through his flesh. Christianity is the most material of all faiths. The word became flesh. This is no fiction. Because of Christmas, there is a B.C., before Christ, and an A.D., Anno Domine, the year of our Lord. So so, so history is not a, a cycle of unendingly repetitive events. No, no, no. No, there's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. God in Christ has dignified time. We came from somewhere. We're headed somewhere. Because of Jesus, nothing would ever remain the same. Yes, yes, of course. Christianity's worth it. Yes, of course. Then came the persecution. Some were imprisoned. Others lost property. We read that later on in chapter 10. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened... You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. It was a hard struggle. And the struggle became a grind. And the grind became fatigue. And after a while, you just get so tired, you get exhausted of your exhaustion. And the, the, after the initial thrill of life in Christ, it was just some had dropped out. Others were thinking about dropping out. They were, they were abandoning or neglecting meeting together. And it became a habit. You see that? You see that? Oh, so that's why the preacher wrote Hebrews. Took 10 chapters to get here. But now we know, now we know. There had been a negligence of gathering together. And some were thinking about making this a habit, and so the preacher writes. What's a preacher to do? What's a preacher to do? Well, well, this preacher chooses not to nag or shame or lay guilt trips on the absentees. Instead, the preacher to the Hebrews offers the congregation a majestic, splendid vision of Christ uh, he, he's better. He's better and more glorious than angels. He's higher than Moses or Joshua. He's the fulfillment of all that the prophets uh, and the law have been pointing to. The tabernacle was but a shadow. Christ is the shadow caster. Behold Jesus if you're, if you're in the grind. Behold Jesus if you're feeling the fatigue. Behold Jesus. He is why Christianity is worth it. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Fix your eyes. Here's our big idea today. I want you to see this big idea from these verses. Fix your eyes on our great priest. Fix your eyes on our great priest. And why? And why? Because our great priest, Jesus, gives confidence to draw near in faith, hold fast in hope, and consider how we can love. That's why. 
That's why we need to fix our eyes on our great priest. For the sake of any who are struggling with whether Christianity is worth it. For the sake of those whose assurance is under assault. For the sake of those who are suffering burnout or exhaustion or the anxiety of doubt. Fix your eyes on Jesus, our great priest. Now, these verses talk about the confidence that Jesus gives, the confidence, so we're going to talk about what confidence is, what that means, and then we're going to talk about how his confidence empowers us. So, the confidence Jesus gives and the confidence that Jesus empowers, this is why we need to fix our eyes on our great so, so let's get to work here. Let's get to work. First, first, I want you to see in these verses how Jesus, our great priest, gives us confidence to access the throne of grace. Will you glance at verse 19 for a moment here? Verse 19 begins with the word, therefore. Therefore. Theref therefore means to review what has been said before and connect that to what's going to follow. So, to, so, therefore, means since Jesus is better than the angels and Moses and Joshua and better than rest in the promised land and better than Melchizedek, and since he's better than the Old Testament tabernacle or temple system, since he's better than any and all of these, therefore, therefore, we have, oh, don't skip that word have, Look at that word have, circle that word have, meaning we possess this. It's in our possession. It's in our holding. We have this. It's present tense as well. So it's a current reality. So we have, we possess confidence, confidence to access the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So the very best Christmas gift that God has for us, according to these verses, is this word confidence, confidence. Now, now, let's talk about what that word means, because words are known by their addresses. So, confidence. Confidence, we use the word, and it's, we use it in terms of psychological or emotional um, confidence, realms, domains, psychological or emotional domains. Do you feel confident you'll pass this test? Or do you feel confident you can stand up and speak? Do you feel confident? So Webster's defines confidence as the state of being or feeling certain, right? That's, and that's a good definition. It's our modern definition. But remember, but remember, when was this word used? When was this word used? Well, this word confidence is really an old word. It comes from a Greek word. We're going to learn some Greek now. Here we go. Here's the word for confidence. It's the Greek word parousia. 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 You say that with me on three. One, two, three. Parousia. Again, one, two, three. Parousia. 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 Confidence. Now, now that's a compound word. And you cut that in half, and you got the word pas, pas, and then you got the word racist, racist. Pas, pas means total, complete, entire, total, complete, entire, total, racist expression or speech or word, total speech, total expression, uncensored speech, unsent, candid speech, candid speech, candid speech. That was a political term when it first came in 
to, uh, onto, the, onto the scene of history. It was, a, it was a political term used in Greek democracy. So just before the city-state legislature would vote on a bill, the citizens of Athens could approach the legislature, the assembly, and those citizens, the citizens, mind you, they could argue for or against that law. They could say, here's what I think about your bill, or here's why I like your bill. See, And they had the right, as a citizen, they had the right of uncensored speech before the assembly. Uncensored speech. They had confidence before the assembly. And then, and then this word, this word migrated from democracy to monarchy where a wise king would seek parousia from a trusted advisor or family member, you see. So, so we're talking about candid speech, uncensored speech. Uh, so, so in that context, it describes someone who could speak freely before power, you see. Well, the first time we see this word in the Greek Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament, it's in Leviticus 26.13. Leviticus 26.13, where God says to Israel, I've, I've redeemed you from Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk in confidence. In confidence. Meaning you, you walk upright. You stand up. You're not a slave anymore. Israel is my firstborn, is what Moses said to Pharaoh. You stand up. You walk. And so here it has to do not with giving God counsel. He does not need our counsel. But it means to be in God's presence and enjoy God's fellowship. To know to know and feel that when I stand before the Lord, I stand as his family. That, that it means I don't need to cower before him like the ten woodsmen in the Wizard of Oz. Remember what the Wizard of Oz said to the ten woodsmen? How dare you approach me, you clinking, clanking, clattering collection of caligatus junk? This is not our God. That's fantasy. Reality is parousia, confidence. And Christ bestows the gift of uncensored speech, candid speech, free speech, before the throne of the majesty on high. And that privilege, that gift, it's, it's, it's mine, it's ours, right here, right now. You don't have to wait till you go to the heavenly realm. We have that gift in the earthly realm here. Note that word, brothers. Meaning brothers and sisters. So, so the preacher to the Hebrews wants the congregation to see that our right of access before the majesty on high is an access afforded to family. Family. We, we approach God as Father. Amen. We pray our Father who art in heaven. We say with Paul in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba means dear Father. Dear Father. So confidence means access. And access means that we don't need an appointment to get before the king of this universe. 
You don't need an appointment. You don't need, we don't need an appointment to enter the Oval Office of the universe. We can, we can drive up to the guard station and drive right through. and we can, we can park in the family section of the White House parking. And we can enter the portico. And we can walk down the hall and pass the Secret Service and pass the secretary and pass the handlers and walk through the doors and into the throne room. And there in that room where angels are ministering before the majesty on high, there our Heavenly Father is working to this day, reigning and sustaining the seen and unseen world. And, and, and in the midst of all this, when he hears us say father in heaven he stops and he looks at us face to face yes child yes child and someone might say how how can he do that and run the universe and you know what the answer is he's very talented (laughs) he's very talented yeah And you know how we have this confidence? Verse 19, the text tells us, through the blood of Jesus. Jesus, do you see that? And note that it says Jesus, not Son or Christ or Lord. Now, it's not that those terms would be wrong. It's that the preacher is emphasizing Jesus' humanity. The Son of God who put on flesh at his incarnation. He is the Christ who has made a way out of no way. Jesus made a a way out of no way. And, and, you know, God the Son's life did not begin in Bethlehem (laughs) because God the Son has existed in all eternity. And likewise, Jesus' blood at the cross did not spell his end either. For in his resurrection and ascension, God the Father exalted him to the highest place. And he is now the curtain, through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Verse 20, Jesus is now our access, the tabernacle curtain once blocked access to the Holy of Holies. Jesus is now our access. In him and through him and by him, the text says, he has made a new, literally a recent and living way. A recent, and recent means it it refers to the historical time between the drafting of Hebrews and the cross and the resurrection, which, which was, you know, within a generation, you see. This is recent, and it's living when the preacher claims that a human body lives in the heavenly realm. The way is living because Jesus is living. Jesus resurrected a transphysical body, gives access and confidence before God. I have representation in heaven. Jesus is my older brother, who is the great priest over the house of God. Now, here's what that means for us. Here's the significance of that for us. And if you've been following along in our Advent uh, journal by Tim Chester, here is a section uh, that I read this week. Um, Chester wrote, 
when we feel bullied by Satan and accused because of our past, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. As our older brother and great priest over God's house, he stands by us. He is unashamed of us. He says to Satan, is there a problem? If there's a problem, you're going to have to deal with me first. Because the people you are accusing are my family. And because we are flesh and blood, Jesus became flesh and blood. And he stepped into our world to rescue us. He stepped into our fight to stand by us. He became human to break the power of Satan and free us from the fear of death. Think, 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 church. Think. Your big brother was born in Bethlehem. Your big brother died for your sins and mine. And right now, our big brother is embodied in the holy place in the very presence of the Father. And one day, we will be like him. So stand upright in confidence because your big brother's in charge. Amen? Amen. So yes, Christianity's worth it. Christianity's worth it because Jesus gives us confidence. He gives us confidence. Now, now so he gives confidence. The confidence Jesus gives leads to the confidence that Jesus empowers. So he gives us confidence, and then, and then his confidence empowers us. Verses 22 and 25 discuss that. Look at the text. Jesus' confidence empowers us to draw near in faith. Do you see it? Hold fast in hope. Let us draw near in faith. Let us hold fast in hope. And then let us consider how we may show love. Faith, hope, love. That's intentional. I think this preacher knew St. Paul, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, the preacher says, the preacher says, first let us draw near in faith because of the confidence that Jesus gives us, because of access through the curtain, through his flesh, because of his blood, because we have confidence to draw near in faith, draw near to God in faith. So in the former covenant, the high priest alone was called to draw near the holy place. So, so this is high priest talk. Let the, let the high priest alone draw near to the holy place, and, but, but the high priest can only show up one day out of the year, one day out of the year. But now Jesus, our great priest, calls all of us to draw near and not just one day every day any time of day so the holy place is accessible wherever you are wherever you your home your apartment your hospital bed your your clinician's room there your car this church service the coffee shop we draw near to God in faith. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, by drawing near in faith, the, 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 the drywall disappears. And we enter the purified, holy place of the majesty on high. We get to do that. We get to do that. And, and by drawing near, we are empowered to cross the threshold from from the visible to the invisible, from the temporary to the eternal. 
We, we draw near to God. And, and, and when we draw near to God, our attachments and our yearnings to this passing world weaken and our, our passions and longings for God's world strengthen. When we draw near in faith and we desire God more, God, I want more of you. I want more. We draw near in faith and the Holy Spirit shapes us to look more and more like Jesus. Draw near to God in faith. Draw near is in the present tense, meaning draw near and keep drawing near. You see, And why? Why can we do this? Look at verse 22. Look at the text. Because the text speaks of, of hearts which have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So the evil conscience has been sprinkled clean and bodies washed with pure water. That's past tense. Do you see that? That's past tense. It's been done for us. So there's, there's tabernacle temple language going along here, uh, along with baptismal symbolism here. Christ's all-sufficient sacrifice sprinkled and washed us so that we can draw near to him. So you see, God sees us in Christ as, as cleansed and purified. And so our life in Christ then progresses by the process of becoming more and more like the person God already sees us in Christ. Yeah, this is good news. This is the good news about Christmas. That Christ was born means that God did not come to condemn us. Christmas is the reversal of condemnation. That's why John 3.17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I want you to believe this, church. I want you to believe that 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 in Christ, because of Christ, through Christ, by faith in Christ, because of what he has done in his body, through his blood and his flesh and his death, burial, and resurrection, we are cleansed. You, listen, you're never, if you're in Christ, you're as forgiven, uh, if you've been a Christian 50 years, you're as forgiven as you were the day you first became. Christian. It went from 0% forgiveness to 100% forgiveness. And now our life in Christ is a process of sanctification. Sanctify means to, it's the process of becoming more and more like Christ. And, and God is so patient with your pastor here because there are some days that, that I look more like Jesus and some days I look less like Jesus. And yet, and yet, listen to me, listen to me. Through Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, God says, you're my son, you're my child. Draw near, draw near. Is Christianity worth it? Yes. <laughs> let us draw near. Let us draw near and then let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Hold fast, hold fast. That has to do with endurance and perseverance. You have need of of endurance verse 35 says in chapter 10 you have need of endurance so because we have access our confidence empowers us to draw near to the lord and in drawing near we have the strength to hold fast the confession of hope hope biblical hope is not a maybe 
Biblical hope is assurance. Biblical hope is steady. Biblical hope is, what's the text say? Without wavering, verse 23. It's without wavering. Again, I'll say what Paul Tripp says when he defines hope. That biblical hope is the confident expectation of a guaranteed result that changes the way I live. And that's so important because the Christians who first heard these words were not in the majority culture. <laughs> the culture did not really support them. According to Rodney Stark uh, in his uh, book, The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark asserts that by the end of the first century, the population of Christians stood at about 7,500. 7,500. That in an empire of 60 million. So this church was suffering persecution, and from Rome's point of view, their suffering was seen as punishment from the gods. I mean, how else do you explain the cross? See, the cross means that you're cursed. According to the Romans, the cross means you lost. You lost. But not according to Jesus. Now, the cross means he won. And so undeserved suffering is the path to glory. So in my suffering as a Christian, it's not because God's mad at me. Rather, God is leading me through the dark valleys to deepen my dependence and strengthen my faith in him. Tim Keller has written a book that I commend to you. It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And here's what he wrote. He said, Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra-Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra-karma, suffering is often unfair. Contra-secularism, suffering is meaningful. There's purpose to it. And by drawing near and holding fast, suffering drives, up, drives us like a nail deep into the love of God. And elsewhere, Keller wrote, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting coming joy. Hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast to the confession of hope. That, that, this is hard. This is a hard truth. And it's hard because I know so many of your stories. But this is truth. This is biblical truth. And it's that suffering. Suffering in Hebrews is at the very heart of discipleship. So the preacher to the Hebrews wants the congregation to know how to interpret their suffering. And so to lose property or to lose personal freedom by imprisonment for the sake of Christ, this is, this is not evidence of a lack of faith. Instead, undeserved suffering is a part of the development of faith in the process of discipleship. Did Jesus not say, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you? And so to follow Christ is to say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ 
and the power of his resurrection and, and, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. You hold fast. And here's why we can hold fast. Look at the text. We can hold fast for he who promised is faithful. Uh, literally, the word order is for faithful is he who promised. We worship the faithful one. The crucified one is the resurrected one is the faithful one. And he's making me more like him. And so, and so in Hebrews 13, the preacher will say, let us go outside the city and suffer just as Jesus did. You keep holding fast. You do not have to survive this world. You don't. Because our great priest has prepared a new and glorious city. Keep holding fast. For faithful is, that's present tense, is he who promised. Draw near, hold fast, and then, and then let us consider. That's verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. And, and the idea is this. Let's really look at each other. And looking at each other will, will lead to an outburst of love and good deeds. Listen to me. God put his Holy Spirit into your heart so that he can love others through you. God wants to use your body to love others. And so your presence here is necessary. And the most immediate evidence of love and good deeds within the worshiping community is your presence. And that's why the preacher says... Um, uh, ever so pastorally and yet ever so clearly. Don't neglect the assembly. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So you can't love and encourage one another you, unless you're face to face or at least the best way to do that is in, in person. Your presence in person means encouragement to another brother and sister in Christ. And that's why we gather as a church. That's why we gather. And you know, listen, someone might say, well, I can be a Christian without going to church. Well, you can be married and not go home. You're not going to be a very good spouse, are you? See, And you're not going to grow as a Christian. And we need one another. COVID stole something from us. The, the rhythm of weekly gathering. And, and a frequent comment that I heard from us after uh, your first visit, when we had to be away from one another, was like, I've missed this. I've missed this. Yes. Yes, yes, we thank God for technology. We do. and We thank God for streaming online. Yes, thank you, Lord. Yes, yes, it is a wonderful substitute. Wonderful substitute. And there's an irreplaceable spiritual dynamic. A, a, a significant 
unique spiritual experience occurs when the Lord's people gather to hear the Lord's word in the power of the Lord's spirit as we stir up the Lord's love as we await the Lord's day. Someone in this room is ready to quit. And this gathering on this day to fix our eyes on our great priest is what we need. And it's going to keep us going. It's going to keep us going. And so we encourage one another. Verse 25. Encourage one another. How can you tell if someone in here needs encouragement? Oh, that's easy. Just check and see if they're breathing. Okay? Yeah. If they're breathing, they need encouragement. And encouragement means to come alongside, to strengthen someone, so that he or she will go deeper where God is called, even when it's hard. And, and one of the best ways that you can actually encourage someone is praying for someone. Let me pray for you. What is on your heart that I can pray for? So, I talked about this being a visionary passage. Don't you envision a church, a healthy, Christ-saturated church, where when we stream out into the into the foyer lobby here after services, which is going to happen in just a few moments, we're going to stream out into the lobby. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if, if just pockets of two or four or three or whatever just, just could be gathered together and just pray, just pray for one another. When, when someone says to you, hey, I've got a difficult conversation, would you please remember me on Thursday? Don't wait till Thursday. He's grabbing them by the hand and say, I want to pray for you right now. Right now. If it's important enough to be remembered on Thursday, it's important enough to be remembered right now. That's encouragement. Giving heart to someone. And when someone is encouraged the way the Bible describes encouragement, your heart gets the nerve. And your head gets lifted. And your face moves toward the difficult battles that once seemed overwhelming. Biblical encouragement offers a renewed resolve to follow Christ faithfully. And all of us need that. And verse 25 concludes, And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We draw, we, so we draw near because the day of Christ is drawing near. Hey, one of these days, King Jesus is going to get up from his chair and he's going to turn the TV off. And it's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. One of these days. And on that day, our great priest, our great king, the apostle, the son, the creator, the sustainer, he will appear and our redemption will be complete. And when he appears, we will be changed. He will change us. He will raise the dead. He will cure our diseased and decaying bodies. And He will kill the last enemy, death. And we will be with the Lord forever. The best is yet to come. Yeah. Have you read the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis's? Oh, Lewis tries to describe uh, the flavor of fruit in Aslan's country. Aslan, you know, is that Christ figure of a lion. 
And what's fruit like in Aslan's country? Lewis says, well, unfortunately, no one can describe a taste. All I can say is that compared with those fruits in Aslan's country, the freshest grapefruit you, you've ever eaten was dull. The juiciest orange, dry. And the most melting pear was hard and woody. In Aslan's country, the oranges and grapefruit have no seeds. And there are no stones, and there are no wasps. <laughs> Is Christianity worth it? What do you think? Christmas is the divine invasion of grace. And Christ's birth has given us confidence. And our great priest has granted us parousia to access the Father and speak freely as his children. And this access empowers us to live the rest of our lives for him. So then, brothers and sisters, let us draw near in faith, for Jesus has washed us. Let us hold fast in hope, for Jesus is faithful. And let us consider how to love, for Jesus will appear.